0: Hi, I'm Dr. Dan Gardner, and I talk about traumatic brain injury recovery. And today I'm pleased to be speaking with educational specialist, Cindy Parr. Traumatic Brain Injury Recovery. Welcome, Cindy. Thanks, Dan, great to be here. Tell me a little about your background and tell me what an educational specialist is.
1: I have a master's degree in teaching students with physical and health impairments. It's a special education degree in that degree they have physical and health impairments and traumatic and acquired brain injuries i'm also a certified brain injury specialist trainer so i do a lot of work in training others on how to work with individuals with brain injury an education specialist is a special educator who helps students in school at school age students from preschool all the way up to high school with special needs. That person typically can provide services, helps evaluate the student, finds strategies and interventions, writes goals for them, and helps the students attain those goals.
0: Tell me, at what stage in recovery would a brand-new survivor and family usually avail themselves of your service, and tell me how you would facilitate the recovery?
1: So what happens of course we all know after a brain injury things the world changes and the child is responding differently and we need to figure out what is happening we have students with concussions who maybe do not have long term consequences but might have some issues and then we have students that have had more traumatic moderate to severe injuries so typically what happens in in my practice is a student is injured either by concussion or has been to the hospital and through the rehab process and is getting ready to return to school. They would call me or someone with my background to say, hey, we've got a student that is coming back after brain injury. Now, a lot of Districts don't have someone with background in brain injury, and that's when they might bring someone in from the outside. But Mm -hmm. that is best practice. We would then meet the student, find out what the student was like before, and then start very carefully looking at what are the deficits and how we can
0: intervene. So how would your assessment differ from that of a neuropsychologist?
1: good question neuropsychologists are very important and so their assessment is very a good way to have let us have a baseline of how that student is performing in the setting of an office one to one in testing with no distractions and see how that person performs. I know neuropsychologists also may do observations. Usually they would not be as extensive as what I might do. That assessment is very important to just give us a baseline as to how that student is functioning in a somewhat optimal environment, but not realistic environment, however. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I would do is come into the school setting and the most important part of an assessment of a student with a brain injury is the observation, is being with that student, seeing how they perform in a busy, noisy classroom, on the playground, at the lunch court, um, how they interact with their friends. We're going to be looking at how they're processing their environment, not just auditorily processing, visually processing, and then How are they understanding the language, the teacher's instructions, the conversations of two or three children in a setting, in in a circle with them? These children are often overwhelmed by all of that stimulation, and we need to be aware of that, and we need to look for that. Mm -hmm. What is challenging is if a person doesn't have the background in brain injury, they'd miss the nuance of all of that going on because the student will sometimes mask their difficulties. But what happens is they end up not being able to perform in school. They end up becoming more depressed. They don't understand their changes from injury. So a lot of what I do is, is help the student understand what happened and how it's affecting them and what the process of recovery will look like in small chunks. With the family, I do the same thing because this is a very scary situation and there's a lot of misunderstanding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Frankly, I do the same thing with the staff <laughs> because they often forget that the mm-hmm. child has a brain injury, especially if they fully physically recovered.
0: Big part that you mentioned is assessment in a real-world setting, in the school setting and, yes. and you didn't mention it, but maybe in the home setting. Yes. And then education of the student, of the teacher, and the family.
1: Absolutely, yes. There's a lot of education. As I mentioned before, I do a lot of training. I do a lot of modeling, coaching. Because, and that's where people say they learn the most from watching what it looks like to work with a person with a brain injury and it is different than a typical child it is a different than a typical either a general ed child or a special ed child it's it's very um needs to be carefully done to get the best benefit for the child
0: you have to know a lot about child development because obviously the thinking, the emotional status, uh, how one manages impulses, and so forth, change from age to age. And so, Absolutely. one needs to know what is what is adolescence versus what is an impulse control problem caused by a brain injury, for example.
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, yes, I can tell you a story. I have been working with this child off and on, he's now not a child, he is 18 but when he was five, he was in a horrific car accident and his mother was killed in the accident mm. and uh, very traumatic obviously on many fronts. And he went through rehab, he had to learn the whole walk and talk and you know, eat again and learn all those things. And then we took him to, uh, we have in the uh, district I work in, we've developed a a nice model where we could take the child into a one-to-one setting while they're still recovering and assess their needs. So we gave him a little more time to recover. And then he went back to his kindergarten class. Well, when I went out to see how things were going and talked with the teacher, she said, oh, he is just like he was before. We're so glad, you know, it was all wonderful. And so at that specific time, the five-year-old didn't have any needs. But as he grew older, he grew into his injury, we call it. And uh-huh. so then there were problems that were surfacing, and they needed to be addressed. And by the time he got into high school, which is a very overwhelming situation for kids, he was he, he stopped coming to school. Oh, he, he, he was so overwhelmed. So we had a special program in our district. We brought him to our school with a class for kids with brain injuries, and he blossomed, just learning about why this was going on, what was challenging about it, but also daily intervention for strategies, how to help him with these things. He is now a senior in high school, and he has started a job, so proud. And wow. so he is going to leave high school and be a functioning member of society. That is a wonderful thing that can happen when you watch and you look for what the students need as they're going through the school system.
0: Sounds like a great example and very inspirational. So tell me again, this special program that you have or had, what services did it offer that differed from the mainstream classroom?
1: Well. First of all, the team that worked with the students have a lot of training in brain injury. Mm-hmm. So we made sure that the occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech pathologists all really understood brain injury. And it was it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing training, honestly. Mm-hmm. But as they work with the students, we're really honing in on those brain injury strategies. Mm-hmm. So, that is one thing that really made the difference. And then having the students together, small group of
0: mm-hmm. students
1: that could talk together, learn from each other, and know that they were not alone
0: mm-hmm. in
1: their injury, that was very powerful.
0: Is that program still in existence?
1: Only partially at this, at this moment in time, but I will tell you that There are other ways for many districts that don't have this access that we can work with students as they're recovering. I consult in many districts throughout our county in helping those teams. So what's really important is the oversight and the training, not just a one-shot deal, but in real time, looking at what's happening with the child and helping the whole team understand the interventions that are needed. And they're simple things, I always tell them, helping a student with brain injury is very simple. The strategies are simple, and they should be, but they're very hard to do because you need to be consistent and you need need to be vigilant about it. And that's what's always so hard for everyone.
0: Yeah, like many interventions in, in life, they seem simple when we talk about them, but implementing yeah. is another thing. And what you're also saying is it reminds me of that joke about the definition of a consultant, somebody who comes from more than 50 miles away, shows slides, and doesn't have to stick around to implement their yes. recommendations. So you're saying you do more than just the assessment. Yes. You follow through and make sure that the, the treatment plan is being implemented. After your assessment, what are some typical recommendations that you give to the teachers?
1: The advice that I give our teachers and administrators about these students, number one is that they need to have more than just auditory information.
0: In addition to the auditory instruction, what other recommendations or types of recommendations might you offer?
1: You're going to need to speak more slowly. Mm -hmm. What I tell them is, we do not want you to slow down every word, but to talk naturally Mm -hmm. and pause along the way. Because that way, the person has an opportunity to process what you're saying. What often happens in the classroom with the noise and with the conversation or with Let's say they're on the playground with their few peers and there's just too much going on. They shut down. It's really hard for them to figure out what's going on. So processing the information, we need to slow down how we deliver it when we're speaking. So that's another big one.
0: Does it ever include asking the student to repeat what he heard or to explain back to you?
1: Yes, yes. So then the strategies for the student is and again they need to be written down but Mm. you're going to teach the student when you don't understand to ask for someone to repeat it Mm. i will tell you that's very hard for most of our kids to do Mm. one because they want to be and appear just like they were before the injury right it's very hard so there's a lot of psychosocial pieces to this Mm -hmm. that is why the student that I mentioned earlier, when he came and had daily intervention, we were able to help him to be comfortable with this idea of needing to ask for help or needing to have something repeated or asking to have something written down for him. But that that's da- that was daily work for many years. I had four years with him.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we're now to the point where this is happening more naturally Mm -hmm. So it does take time, and it does take patience.
0: Now, with the availability of smartphones and similar technology, are there other strategies you might suggest to, to use the phone as a peripheral brain?
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. Now, in high school, that is more of a challenge, because phones out at school a lot of times are something that the teachers don't like to see. But, yes, we will do that for calendars for helping them with putting their strategies in their phones so they can access them.
0: Can you give me some examples of cases you've worked with?
1: Well, the students I have worked with, there are uh, age range from five up into 19 and 20, and the injuries are vastly different. So we've had sports injuries from skateboard accidents to football injuries, fights, gunshot wounds, um, and then what we call acquired brain injuries from internal occurrence. I've worked with a lot of students who have had strokes from arterial venous malformations, Mm -hmm. encephalitis, kids that have had brain tumors, treatment from cancer, radiation, and chemotherapy that have affected their brains and seizure disorders. So it does run the gamut as far as how that brain injury occurred and at what age it occurred. Mm -hmm. In San Diego, our families are very diverse. I've worked across many cultures and many family situations. And so each one has a different dynamic that you need to understand and be respectful of. Some people are more open to discussing things and some people are not. So you really have to tailor what you do
0: to what they're open to learning. What do you find in your work are the biggest challenges?
1: One of the biggest challenges, and I've sort of alluded to this already, is that people forget the person has a brain injury. Teachers forget, parents forget, and the student themselves forget. If they have physically recovered, And sometimes even if they haven't fully physically recovered, they forget that their brain has changed and that they're in need of intervention. I constantly have to remind people. One of the students I worked with has now long graduated from high school. And I ran into her mother one day and she said, you know, she just, I tell her to do something and she just doesn't remember. She doesn't do it. It's so frustrating. I have to keep telling her five times. And I just listened and I said, did you write it down for her? And she said, no. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there we go with that very simple strategy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When you don't give that backup piece of information, the person is not able to be successful. I can't tell you how many times I have to tell that one. So that is a challenge. It's one I'm willing to take, but I'm willing to help. That's a challenge for the person who survived the brain injury and their family when they forget that.
0: It's a challenge for the support system because not only do they have to remember what the deficits are, the impairments are, but they have to take more time and effort to address the problem.
1: Right. And then the other challenge is budgets. (laughs) I mean, oh, if we had the money, we could do so many wonderful things for kids. And as I alluded before, I had a a class at a high school where the kids would come one period a day and we would work on all the different types of strategies that they needed and studying how, how interpersonal relationships and learning about their injury, all of these things we could do and the real-time setting which was so beneficial so a challenge now is without that i come in i train i coach i try to help and then i'm not there and so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we can't do things in real time it's the same challenge that clinicians have when they bring Mm -hmm. someone to their office it's Mm -hmm. not the real world the real world is a very important place to be practicing these strategies with the coaching that is needed. So with budgets, we could do a lot.
0: (laughs) But we don't have the money. (laughs) That's the challenge, doing more with less. Yes.
1: I have set up some weekend activities for the students to come just to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And by the way, maybe talk a little bit about what their challenges are or what you know, their school and what's going on. And then also have the parents have some time to just sit and have a cup of coffee and, and talk about things and, and get support for each other. But it is a challenge to do that as well because families are overwhelmed. And so it's hard for them to make that time and pull that together. Um, but it's a, it's a worthy effort and we'll continue to work on that because it's something that is so
0: needed. Well tell me, Cindy, what advice do you have for students, their families, and what advice do you have for healthcare treaters?
1: The biggest advice I have for working with these children and adolescents is speak to them at their chronological age. A lot of times when children are injured, I, I see this a lot where people talk down to the child or um, they think of them, especially if they're not communicating, talking to them as if they are much younger. And that is really upsetting to that person. They want to know that you know they're in there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so please speak to them at their chronological age. Yes, you need to slow your speech down probably and not talk in such long discourse because they can't process it. That's very important. When your child has an injury, you want to make sure when you go back to school that they have the information of what happened to your child. They have the discharge summaries. They have the information from the doctor. They have releases or restrictions on what they should be participating in. And almost always a child should start back in small increments to school. Mm-hmm. Of an hour or two at a time to see how it goes to start to build up their stamina mm-hmm. what's really hard for high school families is the worry about graduation the worry about falling behind and my advice on that is look at the big picture we're looking at wanting to have a as solid of a recovery as we can and when there's a push to get back into those academics and get back on track too soon, you end up exacerbating your injury and making the injury symptoms last longer. I've worked with many families on this and I did have a student who was a football player and he had a concussion and he was a very bright boy and had very high expectations of going to college and a very good college and was stressing so much about what to do about work and trying to keep up and really making his headaches become unbearable and missing school. At that time I had my class and so I said, look, why don't you pop in my class anyway and let's talk. So he came for six months to my Mm -hmm. class and every day we met and every day we looked at what he needed to do and every day I said, Let's just take one step at a time. You need to take brain breaks as soon as any headache begins. And we kind of timed it so we could figure out if your headache starts about in about 10 minutes after reading, read for eight minutes and then take a break. Mm-hmm. And the breaks don't have to be long. But this was a real training experience for him. And it was hard for him at the beginning. But then he started to see with practice how this helped him. And on graduation, he came up to me and he said, oh, thank you so much, this changed my life. And Great. wow, that's what every teacher wants to hear, right? But he went mm-hmm. on to college. It's just very important to take the student where they're at, the child where they're at, and only make, take small steps in going forward. The small steps turn into big steps. So look at the big picture. Don't push, push, push to uh, have to get that high school diploma right away if you can't. You've got to get that recovery first. Back to the school situation. So having all the medical information together, please be open. Please share. When you go back, have a team meet. We have what we call 504 teams, and they're not a special education entity, but they are a document that we can write, a plan we can write for interventions that are reasonable, like shortened day or no tests for the first month or so, or shortened assignments, extended time, certain things like this, that we can write down with a team working with the student, ask for that. If there isn't somebody on site or in the district that has brain injury background, ask for that. Hmm. Ask to have someone come in and help out your team so that you get the best interventions possible. I do want to make sure people know to reach out uh, to the San Diego Brain Injury Foundation. Even if you're not in the city, there's so much on that website that can be very helpful.
0: Well, Cindy, I wanna thank you very much for taking the time and effort to talk with me today, and I wish you the very best.
1: Thank you so much, and same to you.
0: Please like, subscribe, and comment